morning, church family. If you would, please turn in your Bibles once again to that little book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the New Testament. Uh, we've spent a few weeks going through it, and, uh, and next week's passage uh, is going to be on 24 and possibly 25. I'm still working through that, but this week's passage is verses 22 and 23, and since we've got uh, a, a few newish people, I'd like to explain very quickly how the, the PowerPoint game goes for the kids and also for the ADD adults. Um, there are some, some hidden pictures that are in this slide and, and in a lot of the slides, and so if you are a kid and you have a hard time paying attention, or if you're Mark Smith, then you need to uh, grab... <laughs> You need to grab yourself uh, one of the, the bingo sheets back there. Now, here's how it works. There are 24 pictures on that bingo sheet. There are 23 pictures hidden in the slideshow throughout the sermon. So if you can keep track and figure out which one is missing, and frankly, even if you can't, um, then after service, you can come up and take something out of the treasure chest, which I need to restock. So um, that is how that game works also. There are some words that are underlined. For instance, you may see one underlined right here. That underlined word is one of ten that will show up in either the word search or the uh, crossword. So if you're one of those folks like me that has to do something while you're sitting in, in order to stay awake, that's what you do. All right, so uh, you may have noticed there's a theme to today's service, um, which is that it's been led primarily by people who spent time in the service for our country. Now, all of these veterans... Uh, who were who a part of this service, all of them chose to submit to an entity and a structure that was bigger than themselves. And they have all taken an oath to defend their nation against her enemies, both foreign and domestic. And on Veterans Day, we thank those who have served our country uh, as our freedom. Our freedom in this nation and our prosperity is connected to their willingness to stand between the nation's citizens, and those that wish to do us harm. But here's the question I want to have for you this morning. Have you ever stopped to think about the word service? It has a ton of implications, lots of definitions. You know, even, even a little thing of, of teacups and whatnot is called a service. You know, there, there's a lot of different ways that we use the word. But when we say that someone was in the service, what are we talking about? Military, they're in the armed forces. Although we also refer to our time of worship as a service, right? Romans 12.1 says that offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God is our reasonable act of service, okay? And scripture reminds us of the importance of serving one another. Galatians 5.13 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, so keep that in mind as we get into today's text, because serving is a subject we're going to keep on circling back around to. So hopefully everybody's found the book of Jude. We're going to read verses 22 and 23 today, but uh, so that we can get the context for this message, I want us to quickly recap part one. This is from a couple weeks ago. Um, this is from verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, this is what Jude wrote, but you, beloved, meaning specifically believers in Christ Jesus, building yourself up. In your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now these two verses are really important in, in our Christian walk because they instruct us on how to deal with ourselves. While today's verses, and that's part two, 
They help us to understand how we are to deal with others, and especially with professing believers. And, and this is all a part of our struggle to be faithful. You may remember from, from last time that in these two verses, there's one command, which is essentially to keep or to guard ourselves in the love of God, which we do by building up, praying, and waiting for the Lord. Which, by the way, if you, if you weren't here for this message, please check it out on the website it's from two weeks ago. Um, but now let's look at today's text, which continues the thought. Okay? He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I'm going to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts. God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll make us good soil. I thank you, Father, for each person that's here this morning. I thank you, God, that, um, that you have blessed us with so many people in this congregation that have uh, been a part of, of military service, Father. I thank you that there's so many people in this little church, Lord, who, who serve you here in this body, who have a, a thing that they do or a place that they, that they uh, fill in in order to, to do things that bless everyone else. God, I pray that you will help us uh, to be blessed for that, Lord, because um, as, I, as I think about the fact, only, only two of us in this building are, are paid for what we do here, and yet so many people do so much. I just thank you for our volunteers, and I ask, Father, that they'll uh, be blessed as they continue to serve you. God, now, as we get into the Word, get our hearts ready, Lord. There's a lot in here, and sort of, some of it's intense, really, so just help us to hear and to obey in Jesus' name. All right. Uh, you may have noticed this passage has three words or phrases that are given in the imperative tense, meaning what? Commands. commands. Thank you very much, Tom. Yes, in today's verses, there are three commands. Okay? So, if, if this passage instructs us on how to deal with others, we should definitely pay attention, right? Because all of us have to deal with others, don't we? And we also all have to be dealt with, don't we? So I think it's important for us to remember, while, while this, this letter was written to people that Jude considered primarily mature believers, most of the instructions are in how to deal with less mature believers, or at least uh, those who are going through a period of weakness in some way. Uh, some of you may identify more with one side of the equation than the other, and that's okay. But please remember... Now, hopefully, we're all trying to grow in our faith and maturity, okay? But, but remember that we sometimes, we, we take turns being weak, friends. We take turns being weak. We take turns struggling, needing help, sometimes needing correction. And so when we're doing well in our faith walk, we should never look down on someone else. But we should stoop down, right, to lift them up. That's what we're called to do. As Peter wrote, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And friends, Christians serve one another in several ways when we obey these commands that are in our passage today. So we're going to look at them one at a time, okay? One at a time. The first command is to have mercy. That is the first command, specifically have mercy on those who doubt. Now let's define terms here. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the definition of mercy? I want to give you a second to think about it, because we've talked about this recently. What is the definition of mercy? It, it can mean a general loving kindness, but it can also refer to 
to not receiving the judgment you deserve. If, if we are receiving mercy, we're not receiving the judgment or the condemnation that we deserve. Now, what do you think it means by those who doubt? This is interesting to me. One of the things about reading the book of Jude is some of the statements that he makes seems kind of vague. <laughs> and so uh, there are more ways of interpretation that I think we're accustomed to in a lot of the New Testament epistles, but I think he is probably referring to Christians who are struggling with faith, whether because of difficult circumstances or simply due to the fact that there are some things about the Christian faith that might be difficult to accept. Now, friends, be comforted by this, okay? I believe that nearly every Christian falls into this category at one point or another, sometimes at many points during our lives. Some of us probably feel like we live there, right? You know, we're like, why do I always feel like I have doubts? We may wonder if the history of the Bible is accurate, you know, or whether God's promises and his word are true. Some Christians may even wonder if, you know, do I even have a proper understanding of Scripture, you know? And, and many Christians wonder if they are truly saved children of God. And this isn't as unusual as we might think. What, what Jude, though, what he seems to be uh, trying to impress on us here is that we should not condemn those who doubt. I think one of the biggest struggles that people experience as they grow in their relationship to God and their, their understanding of the Scriptures is we tend to come across things that provoke questions, right? We come across something that makes us wonder why or what does that even mean? And, and those, those who grew up in a healthy church environment are usually encouraged to ask those questions. You know, ask them of, of more mature believers so they can get the answers and, and process those doubts that they may have. But some of you may have grown up in an unhealthy church culture. You know, you might just be instructed, oh, just believe it, you know, rather than, than being made to feel comfortable expressing what doubts and concerns you may have. And hopefully, if you've attended Crossroad Christian for any length of time, you probably know we are delighted when people study the Scripture enough to ask questions. I mean, we like that. That's a good thing, right? We want you to have questions. We're definitely willing to try to answer them. We're not going to swear that we can every time. Sometimes the answer is, I don't know, <laughs> but we try. We'll try to help you with that. But it may not be that everyone is, is comfortable with this approach. You know, you may, you may be like, well, I don't want to ask a question. Listen, I want you to feel emboldened to ask the tough questions. And, and if you're, if you're, fairly settled in your theology and your understanding of the Bible, just, just be willing to give other people space to ask those questions. And if a person is deeper in the weeds, so to speak, than just having some questions, maybe they're, they're dealing with an issue of conscience or, or even a crisis of faith, don't have a condemning attitude toward them. You know, don't smack them with your King James. Instead, be compassionate. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be compassionate with one another. Come alongside them as they try to understand tough questions. You know, why does God allow suffering? Why do some people go to hell? Why is, is, is Christ the only way to the Father? These are legitimate questions that people have, and they, and they ask him, and listen, have mercy on people who ask these questions in the, in the sense that, that you can be gentle and you can be humble in your approach to their doubts, and you can also express that, that their forgiveness in Christ does not depend on a perfect understanding of his word. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> we, should, we don't all know. In fact, I, I would say none of us have a perfect understanding of all of the details. 
What saves us is faith in Jesus Christ. So we should, we should try to, to strive, really, to, to help them to grasp hold of and then cling to the truth. And that truth is with a, a capital T, you know? It's the truth himself, John 14, 6. Because that reorients them just like it does us when we grab a hold of a truth. Do you guys remember that uh, the Robin Hood movie that came out in the 90s with Kevin Costner? Some of you do. I saw it at Saltines. That's, that's how long ago that was. Um, it was a great movie. It's very quotable. Uh, but one of the parts that, that sticks out in my head is when Robin first meets little John. You remember this? There's some kind of crossing at the river, and, and uh, he's, you know, Robin's trying to get across. And so, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, Robin refuses. And so little John, you know, he says, I'm not going to pay you to come across a river. And so little John proceeds to vigorously whack him with his stick, right? He knocks him into the river, and, well, he knocks him around first, but then they eventually both get knocked into the river, and, and it's funny because little John doesn't know how to swim, and so Robin grabs hold of him, and he demands that little John yield, and Robin said, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to save his life, and he's flopping around, he's screaming, I can't swim, and finally, the, the, the flopping, and the sputtering, and the freaking out, he just, he says he yields, and then Robin says, stand up, and he puts his feet down, he goes, oh, <laughs> the water's only up to his chest. You know, we do the same thing, obviously, without the adversarial part. We're not whacking each other with sticks. But, like, if you're able to sense that your brother or sister in Christ is floundering because of doubt, remind them all they got to do is put their feet down. Christ is a very solid foundation. We don't have to know the answers to all of the questions, but we do know the answer to the big ones, don't we? It's Jesus. He is the answer. So tell people, put your feet down. I know the waters of orthodoxy can be frightening, you know, but, but they're, they're not as, as scary when you realize you can't drown in them if you'll just put your feet down. So then Christians serve one another by encouraging each other. When we get into these seasons of, of doubt and fear, and there's, really there's a lot of scripture to back this up. Uh, one of my favorites is Hebrews 10.25. It's often used to encourage people not to skip church, and for good reason, right? But it's the one that says, do not spurn the assembly, but meet together encouraging one another, the, the, literally the Greek says, stirring one another up towards love and good works. If anybody's struggling with doubt, one of the best ways to get them out of their funk is to say, come worship with me. You know, come, come serve the Lord with me. It's, being, it's coming along that person and helping them, instead of focusing on, on their failings, on the things they don't understand, it, it, it's better when we're engaged in God's work. It makes it easier to focus on him. So be encouraged. First, that, that struggling with doubt is not the end of the world, okay? Secondly, that we, we can lift one another up when we're stuck. And, and third, we need each other. We need each other. Don't be fooled into thinking it's not important to be connected to the body. You know, it's, it's through this connection that, that our faith stays sharp and we remain effective as salt and light. You guys know that, right? You know that passage that says, as, as uh, one man sharpens another, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another? Uh, when I think of that, I think about the fact that sometimes it creates sparks when iron sharpens iron, you know? Sometimes you got to rub some rough edges together, and there's some friction, but that, that's okay. That's how we sharpen one another. So just bear that in mind. All right, command number two. Um, this is a bit more intense. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What does that mean? Well, 
first of all, let, let's talk about being snatched out of the fire. This is a good Old Testament. It's a very strong Old Testament illustration. It shows up in a couple of places. Uh, one of them is Amos 4.11. It's, God refers to Israel as a, a, a brand plucked out of the burning. It means like, like a stick that's burning in the fire, and he pulls it out before it's consumed completely. So it's, it's smoldering. This, this allegory, is, it's really in your face. It's saying Israel was about to be destroyed, but God rescued them from imminent doom because he always promised to save a remnant of his people, right? But there's, there's a fuller representation of this idea in the book of Zechariah, which Matt read chapter 3 of this morning. And I want us to look at part of that again. I know it's long, not the whole thing, but let's look at some of it. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan. That, that, the word is Satan in Hebrew. It means adversary, okay? And the adversary standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, th this is such a such a powerful picture for so many reasons. But, but let's start with this. The vision Zechariah is seeing is of Israel's high priest, right, who is being accused by Satan before God. But God, God refers to this high priest as a brand plucked from the fire, meaning that God rescued this high priest before he was destroyed. And what's really interesting about this particular vision is the high priest's name is Joshua. It's Yeshua in Hebrew. It's the same name of Jesus, meaning the Lord saves. God's son received this name a few centuries later when he was born in the world. So, so there ought to be all sorts of kind of bells like ringing in your brain right now So, because you're hopefully making connections here. But uh, this, this is a foreshadowing of the high priest, the great high priest that was to come. Uh, but we're going to come back to Zechariah for now. Um, let's understand what it means that we're commanded to save others. Are we the ones who are actually capable of saving anyone? Obviously not. Okay, we, we need to recognize that it is God who saves in the ultimate sense. Okay? God is the one who is the, the, has the power of salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb, right? So we can tell one another that God has forgiven our sins, but we do not have the power in ourselves to cleanse anyone. God has that ability. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, there is one God. It's three and one, right? He says, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So salvation is God's prerogative, and we are not capable of doing what he can do. However, we are his instruments, okay? Think about what instrument. There's so many different definitions. Instruments can be tools. They can be uh, things such as the scalpel and forceps of a surgeon. Um, if, if you came up to my house and, and you walked into my music room, my, my office upstairs, um, you would probably be, um, yeah. <laughs> That's my boy. We learned a long time ago in our house, you can't pause in sentences. They get filled in too quickly. Um, you... <laughs> But you would be, you'd look around and go, wow, there's a lot of guitars jammed into this little space. Um, especially if you ever heard me play, because you know that my gear far exceeds my actual skill level. 
Um, but it, that's okay to make this point, okay? Those guitars do nothing by themselves, right? They don't make a sound. But if I pick it up and start jamming away, then all of a sudden they do make a sound. In fact, they make recognizable sounds, as long as it's nothing more complex than like Sweet Home Alabama. Um, so in order, in order to get the sounds I want, I use the instrument. That's what God does, guys. He does the same thing. Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. The statement is clear. Okay? We can do nothing. We can accomplish no spiritual good on our own. But the Lord uses us to save others in the eternal sense by putting his good news in our minds and hearts so that we can share it with the world. And they can hear about the fact that they have forgiveness of sins. And likewise, we, he uses us to save others in a more temporal sense too. Um, basically by forcibly snatching people away from the jaws of death when they're in dangerous backslide. And that does happen. Any of you ever tried to talk to someone like out of a, you know, a, like a hold my beer type moment? You ever try to talk somebody out of one of those? It's not always the easiest thing, is it? But looking back, you may have saved their life. <laughs> Sometimes you see somebody that's about to take a foolish risk or they're going to maybe engage in some sort of self-destructive behavior, so you step in. I think that's what Jude is talking about here. You know, some folks, because of their spiritual immaturity, they step right into a fire, and they need to one, uh, a person nearby to snatch them out of it. Have any of you ever seen a toddler standing on an anthill? A few of us have, right? They don't know what's going on, and they don't know how they got where they are all of a sudden, but they realize they're suddenly in a lot of pain. But they don't know how to solve the problem, do they? And so what they do is they march in place while screaming at the top of their lungs. That is not helpful. <laughs> but that's what they do. And as the parent, you snatch them out of that situation and you do everything that you can, whatever's necessary to debug them. You know, sometimes it takes a while. Of course, your backsliding brother or sister, they may not be a toddler, but they can still get in a jam that they need to be snatched out of. And if they're on fire, you might have to be a little bit rough when you're rolling them on the ground. Are we tracking? Okay. And that's, that's uncomfortable for everybody. But we have got to understand that the stakes are high. You know, I'm not sure what, what Jude is referring to here. If he's talking about salvation from, you know, about physical and spiritual in this life, or if he's talking about eternal fire, maybe he's talking about both. But either way, this is not something that we should just blow off. You know, at the, at the very least, refusing to engage an erring brother or sister can result in a lot of pain for them. But at worst, at worst, it might be an unregenerate person who only thinks that they're a Christian when they're actually lost and their soul is at stake. You know, C.S. Lewis, um, an amazing writer, I don't agree with him theologically on everything, but he's, boy, he wrote some good stuff. And I, I excerpted this from, um, there, there's, he wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. And he wrote, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, he says, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, 
he says, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all, uh, all friendships, all loves, all plays, all politics. There are no ordinary people. Now, that'll stick with you. There are no ordinary people. No one is just a mere mortal, so to speak. So with that in mind, we should always strive to serve one another by restoring each other. You ever seen uh, one of those shows on the HGTV where they're trying to restore an old house? It's the only place you'll probably ever hear the word shiplap, except <laughs> other than from, you know, weird people. Um, this, this restoration, sorry, this restoration, bringing one another back to spiritual help and, and spiritual health and drawing one another back into the fold, that is what we're called to do. This, this is eminently scriptural to restore people. You know, as uh, uh, Elaine read or, earlier in Galatians uh, chapter 6, you know, verses 1 and 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And, and that's so good. And the rest of it carries into our next point. So, so just tuck that away in your brain. Um, Paul writes, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. He says, bear one another's burdens. I'm sorry, I was supposed to put that up there. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's really important to restore one another. This matters. And Jesus, other brother James, um, this is, there's Jude, there's James. He finished his letter with these words. This is the last two verses. Of James chapter 5. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Restoration matters. You see someone in the fire, snatch him out. All right, last command. It says, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, I'm going to say this. Of the three, this is probably the one that um, it's the hardest to nail down because it seems a little vague. And so the interpretations of this are many and varied. But we have got to believe that the Holy Spirit was communicating something specific. Okay, so you're welcome to grab some commentaries and study for yourself. My best guess of what Jude is saying is this, cliffhanger. <laughs> some people are so far gone that we're putting ourselves in danger if we get too close. That's what I think Jude is saying. Some people are so far gone that we are placing ourselves in danger if we get too close. Now that phrase, show mercy with fear, is idiomatic, and it probably means show mercy, but be seriously careful, okay? Why? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, when instructing the church, by the way, this is legit 
Church discipline is a real thing that should be practiced. Okay, 1 Corinthians 5, he was instructing the church to shun an unrepentant sinner. He said because a little bit of yeast spreads through the whole loaf, you know. It doesn't take much poison to ruin the meal. So, so this command reveals the importance of discernment when it comes to our relationships. We need to know the level of receptivity that we're dealing with to determine whether we're, we're making a disciple or whether we're casting our pearls before swine. If we know the person is listening and they're responding to, to correction and instruction, then by all means, keep it up. By the way, all, all, of us, all of us need to be the kind of person that responds well to being corrected, okay? If, if you're not teachable, then you're basically dead inside already. I just want to tell you that. Hope you know that, okay? You must be open to correction. I got kind of a funny story that just popped into my head, debating whether to share it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Um, Matt and I went shooting the other day, and uh, we were at, uh, where, what was that place? Texas, Texas Legends. Legends. We were at Texas Legends, and there's this fellow that's out there, and he's the, the, one of the range guys, and he sweeps the, the brass out of the way. And, um, and by the way, Matt's a terrible shot. I'm just saying. <laughs> you Marines. Uh, yeah. He's probably good with a rifle. Um, but, uh, but so we're in there, and I'm shooting, I've been shooting the same way for I don't know how many years. And decades, and I, you know, I, I hold, I hold the, when I'm shooting two-handed, which I usually don't, but I'm, I hold the gun like this. I haven't been bit by a slide, and I don't know how long. If you don't know what I'm talking about, tough. Uh, but it, and the range guy says, "Sir, please don't hold your, your gun like that." And I said, "I've been doing this for years." He goes, "Sir, please don't hold your gun like that." Okay. So, and I'm sitting here bristling on the inside. Who is this guy to tell me? And Matt turns around. He goes, he goes. Of course, he's a terrible shot, but um, Matt, <laughs> Matt turns around and he goes, he goes, hey, you got any tips for me? And later, I was like, it's like, man, that's how I need to be. You know, it's such a little thing. I've told you guys before, I struggle with, with, I struggle with rebellion. I have a rebellious streak. It's an ugly thing for a pastor to have. But I love the fact that that guy over there was willing to just say, what help can you give me? I'm right here. I'm willing to take it. And I had to wrestle with that. Yeah, you know, and, and that's, that's one thing I really appreciate you, you know, about you, man. I think you, you listen to people, and that's good. So anyway, um, that's the last time you'll ever hear me compliment Matt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh! <laughs> if, if, if a person, listen, if a person is completely closed off, then pray for them, but spend your time working on people who are receptive. Okay? Work on people who are, who are willing to be taught. And if you're not sure what type you're dealing with, then you need to proceed with caution. Okay? Proceed with great caution. If, just like anything else in life, we need to prioritize what we invest in. And as it's been said, time is the only non-renewable resource. And, you know, there's certainly an extent to which we are our brother's keeper. I know this, okay, and hopefully you know this too. But we, we also have to spend our time and energy on those who are willing to listen to us and to change. So we should be most concerned. This is for everybody. We should be most concerned about those within our sphere 
for whom we are responsible before God. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it one more time. We need to be most concerned, each of us, with those within our sphere before whom we are responsible to God. Your kids, if you're a parent, your children in your home are the greatest responsibility that you have. Okay, you elders, your great responsibility is part of, of raising people up in this church. That's what we are called to do. If you're in a, a position of authority at work, there are people within your spirit. You need to show them a Christ-like attitude. This is, you are responsible to some extent with the people that are in your sphere, but especially those that are under your direct authority. I think that's really, really important for us parents to remember. So um, this brings me to the rather odd line uh, about hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Because this is not the way we normally speak, so it might kind of fly under the radar, but I want to encourage you all to think about what that really means, okay? In a very illustrative sense, Jude is telling us, don't put on their dirty underwear, okay? I'm not kidding. Forgive the gross nature of this comment, but it is accurate to what Jude means. It's probably less disgusting than a literal translation would be, in fact. He's saying, in your mind, view their sinful behaviors as you would their nasty, grody drawers, okay? You don't want to see them. You surely don't want to touch them because you'd be defiled by them. And I actually, I had a story about one of the kids' friends who left their drawers on the floor when they spent the night, I'm, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to spare you that. But the point is, the point is, while loving the sinner, we should hate sin so much that we recoil from it like something vile, like it's something unclean. Okay, the, the danger is, is sometimes a person who professes to be a Christian really has no desire to stop sinning at all. And in such cases, what that asterisk there is for, withdrawal might be necessary. As in the church as a whole, not just individuals, a church body may want to draw away, to pull back from a person who doesn't want to be snatched from the fire because we don't want to burn with them. And we don't want unrepentant sin to become a cancer in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean we stop praying for him. It doesn't mean we stop caring for him. But it does mean that we prevent that sin from infecting the rest of the church. And in so doing this, Christians serve one another by protecting each other from the influence of a person who refuses to turn away from what is destroying them. It may be that God will convict them to repent and they'll seek fellowship. That's actually what happened to the sinner that Paul had the church shun in 1 Corinthians 5. We find out in 2 Corinthians that Paul says, invite him back, he's repentant. At least that's who we believe he's talking about. It may be that God convicts them to repent and they'll seek fellowship, and in that case, restore them. Bring them back in. But if, listen, if they're not willing to change their ways, the church must not accommodate their sin. We should not change. If they won't change, the church should not change in order to receive that sin as a part of it. We're seeing this all over America right now with homosexual sin and transgenderism 
And it's not, we pick on that one a lot because you know what? Hey, most of us don't struggle with that. But guess what? If you're in a sexual relationship and you're not married to that person of the opposite sex, then you are in sin. Okay? You need to understand. Guys, we, we are supposed to be careful about what we allow in. Listen, the bride of Christ is wearing white at the heavenly wedding. It says so in Revelation. We need to maintain the purity of the body of Christ. All right, so we're, we're, we're coasting into home now, but uh, I told you we'd come back to Zechariah 3. So remember, Satan is accusing Yeshua, Israel's high priest, but the Lord has rebuked the devil, and he's rescued Joshua like a smoldering brand from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And this is such a powerful image. I think that's probably what Jude was thinking about when he wrote verse 23. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. You know, again, what, what, what an incredible foreshadowing of the work of Christ to cleanse sinners. And then we'll skip down to verse 8. God makes himself uh, very clear when he declares, Hear now, O Joshua, O Yeshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. In other words, a picture of what's to come. He says, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter 11, you know, referring to Jesus the branch that comes out of the root of Jesse, David's father. Anyway, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And just pause for effect here, okay? Because this next part is so good. He says, and I will remove the iniquity from that land in a single day. Think about that. Friends, what is God referring to? Amen. He's talking about something that would happen centuries later. The atoning death of his son, Jesus Christ, the Savior sent into the world to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And then he was buried and he rose from the dead after three days just like he said he would. In Zechariah, God referred to Jesus as his servant, Perfect example right there. That's how you serve. Selflessly, sacrificially, and lovingly. You know, we've all known some, some brave men, some brave women, but who's met a man who would sign up for a mission knowing with absolute certainty that he was going to die a horrible death at the hands of his enemies in order to help them? It was just the one. Romans 5. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you believe this morning that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, and if you trust him to save you, then your journey of eternal life begins today. And your next step is to confess that belief and that trust publicly and be buried with him in Christian baptism and raised to new life. And then we will walk alongside you as you grow, helping you in your moments of doubt, and you help us in ours. Today, that invitation is extended to you. Let's pray.
God, I pray if there's anyone here who has not done these things that we're discussing, Father, who has not put their faith in Christ, who, if they have put their faith in Christ, has not been baptized and publicly professed it, or if they have done those things, is not currently walking with Christ faithfully, or perhaps they're seeking a, a church body to be a part of I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit convicts. In Jesus' name.